You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. Gonna break. Hey everybody, I hope you're not getting too tired of this theme song. I still love it. Thanks to the Blind Revelators for letting me use their cover of uh, Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down. Uh, as always, my name is Danny Anderson, welcoming you to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As you know, I teach English at Mount Aloysius College in Pennsylvania. And joining me today are two fine fellows who you've heard recently on the show. Uh, we've got uh, Michael Redding and Todd Pedler, and we're going to be uh, talking about the, the classic uh, German expressionist film, Metropolis. Uh, and so I think uh, there'll be a lot of really interesting things to talk about and to tie in to some previous shows. Uh, speaking of which, um, the last time you guys were on the show, we did it on Elon Musk. Uh, this was a few weeks ago now. And in the meantime, just this a couple days ago, Elon has been in the news again, um, having been uh, fined a certain amount of money for his, his actions. What did you guys have to think about or what did you guys think about um, these events? <laughs> Well, you know, it's um, it's hard it's hard to put my finger on exactly what's going on. You know, what's going on. I mean, I think maybe many of us would have seen this coming because you 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 you, uh, you have his announcement that uh, that isn't received well, and some something's going to come down the line. But um, as one of my Facebook friends noted, you know, he, he does seem to be melting down here. You put this together with a kind of the other things and, you know, who knows what's, who knows what's, uh, what's happening next. Um, whether it's a refocus, uh, of his priorities towards different things, uh, that's coming. I don't know. I don't know. What do y'all think? Um, go ahead, Micah. Well, I, I wanted to say, I, if I understand correctly, he also, um, as part of the settlement, he stepped down as um, chair of the board, right? Correct. So it's actually a positional change. He's uh, still the CEO, I believe, but uh, but stepped down as board chair for maybe three years, I think. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. So um, that might be just kind of a, a slap on the wrist kind of uh, situation mm-hmm. where it doesn't really mean very much. Um, but that is substantial that, that is a, I mean, you know, it, it could be certainly be interpreted as a significant move. Yeah. And the $20 million, I mean, I'm sure to him is nothing. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I would take it if, if he was just throwing $20 million away, I'll take it. But, um, um, I actually, someone on Twitter had the most hilarious reaction. They said, no, don't do this. This is how the green goblin got started. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I thought that was uh, pretty appropriate actually. So, yeah, so we're timely here at the sectarian review. Um, so, uh, like I said, joining me are, uh, two old friends of the show, Mike Reddy, uh, the Christian Transhumanist uh, podcast and 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 society, Micah. How are you guys doing? What do you got going on with your show? Yeah, so um, I think we talked about this last time, but we just came off of um, our first ever annual conference. 
as the Christian Transhumanist Association, and it was fantastic and uh, just a great experience. And so we're um, kind of setting the the trajectory for next year's conference and for a number of other things along the way. So that um, has, uh, you know, I, I've got these different responsibilities here that I'm trying to juggle. And so I've um, had a little bit of a hiatus with our uh, show interviews, but we've got a number. Uh, I don't want to tell um, who's next yet, but um, we've got some in the pipeline. And so um, yeah, some exciting interviews um, coming up, and that's what we're going to continue to do, have interviews with people who are kind of on the leading edges of scientific and technological and religious thought. Yeah, yeah. if you haven't um, gone to your podcatcher and subscribed to the Christian Transhumanist Podcast, do so. I honestly can't even remember how I stumbled across it. I was doing some sort of search on iTunes and I thought, well, that sounds yeah. like the opposite of what I am. So let me listen to it. And so, um, but no, but it was, uh, it was a great find for me. And so I'm happy to get to know yeah. Micah too. Um, and joining Micah and I, uh, Todd Petter, excuse me, Todd Pedler, uh, professor of uh, physics at Luther college. Uh, Todd, how are you doing? And uh, co-host of the book of nature podcast. You guys have been busy. Well, we've been we've been busy. It's uh, uh, in 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 a sense. Uh, most recently, we've been busy trying to f- find each other online at the same time. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have a couple of episodes in the can that are that are on their way out. Um, one, let's see, arrival. We just dropped it a couple weeks ago. Um, that was a fun. That was a fun episode. Yeah, it was a good. Um, one. I taught that and, book, or that movie actually. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. No that that was a that was a that was a real uh, kick and. Um, Subsequently, we have recorded on the Star Trek franchise, and that'll be coming out very soon. We also did an episode on uh, on volcanoes, and you know, just sort of pick up on the summer's events in Hawaii and 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 what have you. Um, and we are as as soon as all three of us have actually an opening in the schedule, which I think is supposed to be this Friday. Uh, we're recording an episode on Twister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, an older film now, but, uh, we have a, 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 a twister expert among us. So we thought we'd, uh, kick one to him to, to Dan Dawson and, and let him, uh, <laughs> run riot over the movie. So should be, uh, should be a good time. And then, you know, what, what's beyond that? I'm not sure, but, uh, but we're trying to get back on a regular schedule. So, uh, should be, should be, uh, should be good. Well, you guys are like actual academics and scientists instead of like, you know, I'm sort of like, you know, a fake person. And so, uh, I have all the time in the world to podcast. Not really, but, uh, I make, yeah, I make the time though, Todd, that's the difference between you and I. So, yeah. um, um <laughs> that's what we tell our students, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. You have the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I love both the shows and, uh, I'm really happy to have you guys on with me here today. So, uh, let me just jump right into the movie. Uh, Metropolis is an, an old, we'll get on some background uh, of the film here in a little bit, but it's a very classic German expressionist uh, film, um, visually striking, uh, which we'll talk about the visuals. It's, it still kind of holds up in amazingly surprising ways. Um, let me just real quickly for those of you, I mean, it's 1927, so uh, spoilers are kind of out the window. I mean, at this point, um, <laughs> the uh, yeah. So just expect some spoilers. I'm going to do that right now and give just a real brief kind of plot summary. Uh, m- movie concerns this futuristic city in which you have this high technology city of like luxury and and privilege built on top of kind of a, a network of machines that are like run by um, this kind of 
working class, this uh, underclass of citizens uh, who are little more than machines themselves. And um, so you have this clear kind of class war uh, set up in this movie. Um, one of the beneficiaries of this is uh, the hero of the film uh, is a fellow named Freighter. Uh, and he is the son of the guy who runs the city, if, uh, if you will, the mayor, um, which is anachronistically, he's called Freighter's son. Um, and his son is just called Freighter. So it's a little bit confusing, but, um, um, but, uh, Freighter is living this kind of weird, um, playboy life in, um, uh, in the surface world at the beginning of the movie. And emerging from a door is Maria with this group of like straggling orphan children, basically. And he's very touched, um, uh, both by their, kind of sad state and by her beauty. Like he sort of has this kind of love at first sight moment with Maria, um, who we find out later is leading this kind of workers movement underneath the city. Um, he follows them basically into the city and sees the conditions that um, the workers are all working in, um, working these machines that give everybody else this kind of privilege. Um, Elon Musk's fantasy world. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, and uh, and he uh, uh, follows them in there, gets involved in the uh, the movement, uh, much to his father's chagrin. And um, his father um, kind of finds a way to figure out where they are having their meeting, spies on them and sends this, uh, this mad scientist guy. Oh gosh. What's his name? Uh, what was his name? Uh, I forgot. It's, to write it's, down. it's a Rotvang or something. Yeah. Like yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. Rotvig or something. Yeah. And so he's mixed between a wizard and a scientist. Right. And so he, uh, uh, creates this robot, which is the very kind of visually striking image of the movie. Um, this kind of female robot, that goes in and he's assigned to sort of tear down the rebellion. He also hates Freiderson and, uh, because of some romantic, uh, jealousy for his, uh, ex Freiderson's late wife, who this guy also loved and instead sends the robot, um, to kind of destroy the upper class of the, of the, and create a class war, uh, that will bring down the city. Uh, and in the midst of this class war, um, there's a big sort of, um, disaster that happens because the machines have been shut down. Um, Freighter and Maria save all the children <laughs> and uh, and reconcile at the end. The movie ends with the leader of the workers uh, rebellion, uh, whose name is Grot, I think. Um, uh, Freighter is sort of the mediator um, between Grot and Freighter's son. And there's this dawning of a new peace between upper class and lower class, lower class mediated by Freighter. Um, and that's sort of the, uh, the motto of the movie is the heart must be the mediator between the hands and the head, right? And so they, they keep coming back to this. It's very little heavy handed um, morality tale, but th that's sort of the, the broad brushstrokes. It's quite a long movie, a lot more happens along the way. Um, anything that you guys want to add to it in terms of plot that you think are important for us to talk about now? It, it, it feels very complex to me. Um, and for, for such an early film to have such a complex storyline and you kind of like alluded to, he's a little bit of an inventor, mad scientist and wizard. Like there are these, a lot of different kinds of, uh, interlayered elements that I think we're supposed to pick up on. And the relationship between, um, the robot and the various characters in there is this weird, I would almost want to say like, um, kind of Freudian, uh, relationship and maybe, <laughs> maybe we're jumping ahead, but, but he, um, he, the, the inventor creates the robot as an, 
as an attempt to reconstruct this woman he loved. Mm-hmm. Um, at least this is my under, my understanding of it. And mm-hmm. and then um, then the woman he loved uh, who died had his uh, had a son who is freighter, um, and the son uh, ends up falling in love with a woman who the robot is then made to imitate. Oh dear. So it's, (laughs) yeah, it's like, it's, it's a really complex layered of like son, mother, uh, wife kind of, uh, yeah. Like everybody, Mm. I don't, I don't know. It it gets, it just gets really confusing and, um, it's hard to figure out like what are all the tensions that are supposed to be, um, being dealt with or like if some of these are accidental or what. That Freudian angle is fascinating, though. You're right. Um, He does end up falling for the facsimile of his mother, almost. It's very strange. uh, And and it is, yeah, yeah, it's very Oedipal, right? And and so, yeah, Yeah. it is, there's a lot of awkwardness. Oh, and by the way, this is pre-code. There's actual nudity in this movie, if you go watch it. Uh, There's, I mean, it's not like super dirty nudity, but there are like women's bodies on display. Um, and so yeah. the, do be aware of that. Um, you know, that's kind of, mm-hmm. maybe we're not used to seeing black and white movies that are, have risque um, elements, but this definitely does. And yeah, to see Maria bot uh, dance around with, with, with pasties, <laughs> right. with pasties. Well, it's wholeheartedly, it's whole, it, it's wholly burlesque, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that is, that is that scene. Um, uh, and it is just the you know it's not a very long scene, but it is a little bit it, cringy. Um, yeah, I would say um, one of the things that I found, I, I think, just in terms of uh, gosh, there are so many things I'm reminded of in different films that come up, and we'll, we'll talk about them, I'm sure. But um, the whole interplay between you know between Robot Maria and Maria. And um, and Freighter and the uh, the worker who he you know uh, uh, who he takes the place of for a, a time. Yeah. Um, that whole mistaken identity identity thing is 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 kind of fascinating to to track too, and, and hard to track <laughs> at, at at times. Yeah. Yeah. That is. I didn't even narrate that into the the summary. Uh, yeah. At one point, Freighter switches places with a worker. Uh, and the worker goes off and he's being tailed by a spy from Freiderson. There's actually, it's a quite complicated plot. Um, yeah. you know, surprisingly so, uh, given that there's no dialogue. I mean, there's just sort of voice, uh, <laughs> cards, uh, giving, narrating this. And so it is, uh, there's quite an intricate plot, uh, has been designed here. Um, and it's a super important film. Um, and I think it has, really interesting it came up somehow during the elon musk show um i don't remember how Mm -hmm. uh, exactly um Mm -hmm. something about elon musk trying to you know take capitalism to its natural extent or something and uh and it reminded me of the of the class war in this movie and so i think i might have brought it up for that reason but um it's super important in terms of technology it's uh it's super important uh it's got a really interesting religious vision uh and so it's in many ways, the perfect show to talk about on, on this podcast with these people. And so, um, yeah. uh, let's kind of, uh, kind of get into, uh, some of the details before we start breaking it down and analyzing it. Todd, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of the background of the movie? Yeah. Um, so, uh, largely when I, when I, when you put this question to me, I, I kind of thought, you know, what, one of the things that I find really interesting is that, 
is the artistic background. I mean, not so much perhaps, you know, film is a burgeoning medium, right, uh, yeah. at, at this point in time. But, um, but really, uh, I find it resonating or what what I resonate with here is the the expressionist movements that are going on uh, really contemporaneous with this film um, so Fritz Lang is uh, you know becomes a prominent uh, director producer of of um, this genre uh, of uh, of German expressionism as a film medium it's a broader it's a broader movement than this uh, it's an artistic genre really that originated in Europe in the early 20th century um, and involves uh, things like the re rejection perhaps of convention uh, to some degree but particularly the depiction of reality that might be widely distorted for uh, effect on the audience on the viewer uh, whether we're talking painting whether we're talking poetry or eventually as we're talking about here film um, the on the artistic front you have influences in expressionism from uh, non-German artists such as Van Gogh and Edvard Munch, uh, uh, El Greco, uh, and so forth. Um, these are, and the expressionists proper, are really less concerned with um, necessarily aesthetically pleasing works, although I would argue that many of what they, many of what they produce uh, are quite pleasing, um, but they're more really willing to sort of go out on the edge and create reactions in the viewer through either bright colors that clash, um, lots of flat shapes you see, lots of jagged um, edges to things. Yeah. Uh, some of the post-impressionist uh, in France, you you see some of this beginning to uh, to come about and it's it's it explodes in the expressionist movement. Um, there was, a, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, this movement is very interested in the relationship between art and society. Um, and really in Germany, what's going on, this is, this, it took me a bit to, to think about this, but I watched, I watched again, uh, this film last night. I had watched it earlier, uh, in the week. And, um, as I was thinking about, what artistically is going on here? Um, I'm I'm really I'm reminded of two of the sort of seeds of the visual arts expressionist movement in Germany. Uh, one by by the name of Der Blaue Reiter, the Blue Rider, which is named after a painting by Kandinsky, um, and and Die Brücke, which is a the the sort of two foundational German expressionist arts movements. Um, and when I when I look at this film, there are certain places in the set design that I see real resonance with what's going on with early Kandinsky and 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 uh, Franz Marc as another uh, Blue Rider uh, school artist. Um, and, and so I, I'm I'm curious, and I haven't done the research, so I don't. I'm not an art historian, but I have some interest in the area. I haven't done the research to find out really how much sort of set design from Lang in particular, because he's got a number of films that are important, um, how much his design of sets might be influenced by this. But it's also influenced by other things, um, the sort of futurist strain of, 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 of the arts. Um, you definitely see, of course, in, um, in the design of the sets for Metropolis. Um, so the films in Germany that come about 
um, particularly from Lang, uh, in the 19-teens and 20s, really um, a lot of critics would argue that they're definitely influenced by the isolation that Germany felt uh, after World War uh, after World War One, mm-hmm. um, and I think you can see some of that. I think you can see, uh, you know, there is a um, there might be some political commentary that's going on uh, here in this and other films that are very much related to um, the sort of turmoil that Germany and and isolation that Germany feels. Um, anyway, I you know I, I I haven't I haven't seen anything else by Lang. I know you have, Danny, um, but uh, but. His is sort of the prototypical film. I mean, this is the film that people point back to, um, both for for sort of grand scale science fiction, um, but also um, you know sort of this art house film uh, uh, movement that sort of stretches into and even you know you could you can you can see seeds of film noir in this. You can see uh, um, uh, some of the influences there. So, I don't know. That's, you know, from my digging around, that's that's uh, that's uh, where I'd leave it. But uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think um, just on the, the subject of Fritz Lang, uh, if you want to, uh, I mean, a real, two really good movies of his is M. Um, it's got Peter mm-hmm. Lorre in it. Uh, it's, it's a really mm-hmm. great, disturbing movie that uh, is a sound film. Um, and um, the Testament of Dr. Mabusa is uh, also really an interesting one. Um, I watched that one in grad school and it was uh, um, it's a, there's a whole series of these Dr. Mabusa uh, mm-hmm. um, series or book or excuse me films and uh, that's a really particularly interesting one. So I have seen a few Fritz Long movies and uh, yeah and so I think that um, uh, he's definitely one of the kind of first, important artists in the medium i think Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's definitely way trailblazing uh for what the what the medium of film is going to be doing um in Mm -hmm. years to come and particularly with science fiction uh with this film i mean i think you can see the seeds of a lot of different sci-fi films uh germinating right in this movie from 1927 so we'll get into that maybe towards the end of the episode um yeah but but yeah i think that there's a, a a great little background as to how this fits into the larger German expressionist movement for sure. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the cabinet of Dr. Cagliari, I, yeah, I forgot about that one. Dr. Yes. Caligari. <laughs> I have I mean, seen that. Yeah. So, so I've not seen that, but I've seen stills from it and there's a lot of, there's a lot of connection, even though that's 1920. Um, there's a there's a fair bit of connection between the two, but the more that I've seen stills of his films, the more that I'm drawn to this connection of the especially the German expressionist artists, because um, there's there's there, there you know there's no accident yeah. that some of the the angular sets and whatnot. I mean, it's just it's it's very clear. Yeah. Yeah, and these sets were built um, as models, many of them, and it's like right. super. I mean, the production is super impressive to this day. I mean, this does not look, mm-hmm. look like a, a an amateur production like many silent silent films do today um, to us. Like mm-hmm. this looks extremely intricate and difficult, and probably more so than we would be willing to put into a film today. Um, and, well, yeah. it, it it was almost a year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was 300 days, you know, and like 60 nights, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and the number of extras I read somewhere is something like 30, 
35,000. <laughs> big, big crowd scenes and they're not CGI, right? And so, right. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Even though they all are dressed the same. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm really happy that you brought up the political context uh, of, of Weimar, mm-hmm. uh, the Weimar Republic. That is uh, yeah. really important to the politics of this film in particular, which are really strange and complicated, and and, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. um, Mike, anything to add to the background of the film, or do you want to move right on to the, the what the film says about technology? Yeah, let's talk about maybe the the um, the technology. But you know, one thing that like immediately, um, you know, stands out to me is how much uh, you know. This is very influential on other things that come later, but it's also influenced by things that come later. So you know, one one thing that stands out is um, H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, yeah, um, which I think came out in uh, eighteen ninety five, um, and it. The, it's kind of vision of um, uh, I, I'm going to forget the names, the, the different, the different races, the, the LOI and the, 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 the Morlocks, the, the Morlocks and the Eloy. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, so they have the similar dynamic, right? An underworld and an upper world. And, um, but it's a, it's uh, totally inverted um, in the time machine. It turns out that the uh, again spoiler, but uh, it turns out that the upper world is you know food for the underworld, right? Like that that they're actually they're living this kind of um, nice lifestyle or whatever, but it's actually kind of covering up the fact that they're being consumed. And in this um, this one that that's flipped on its head, where you have these people living this um, you know lifestyle, and it's the underworld who's being eaten. Um, and so, so, so much of that, you know, there's, you talked about the mistaken identity situation, um, you know, it seems to, I don't know, there, there's just so many other kind of stories that this seems to be drawing on, particularly Frankenstein, like yeah. all of that, right, is a huge influence in, in what's going on here, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Todd, in our sort of back channel conversation, had asked me if I'd ever seen um, the old silent film, The Golem. Um, and, uh, mm. and I have, of course I have. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> I was it's pretty a, sure you had. Yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, sci-fi film as well, or kind of more horror film, I guess. Um, mm. But uh, uh, I think there's a lot in common with it, too. Another German film, um, the, the robot in this case, serves a very kind of Golem-ish uh, purpose. And so um, I, I think that that's, a, that's another great... Um, connection going back to wells he i read somewhere where he had hated this they published uh, uh the new york yeah. times really panned it and wells really thought i think he was insulted by its kind of pessimistic view of technology technological process for humankind hmm. and, and mm-hmm. i think that, that it, because it makes the opposite point that he's making because the eloy mm-hmm. have devolved technologically into this sort of idyllic pastoral life um that's what mm-hmm. makes them food for the morlocks right and so he, uh wells is like a proponent of technology uh in a very kind of racist way <laughs> if, you, if you, uh, wells is kind of kind of checkered history with race right and uh and, and and so i think that it's really kind of an interesting i think it says a lot that he hates this movie um because mm-hmm. it's going a different direction in terms of its depiction of technology than yeah. he would you know what's what's interesting to me though is that wells also wrote the sleeper awakes which is another one of these future society exploration uh, novels where this guy falls asleep for 200 years and wakes up in this place where uh, it's entirely 
industrialized mm. and it's not a good scene. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, it's been a very long time since I've read that, but I, I remember feeling very similar vibes coming out in, mm. in that, in that novel as well. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and it could just be the, the kind of baldness of this, um, uh, films politics. I mean, this, this is not a yeah. subtle political film at all. Right. And, and, <laughs> no. and if you're sort of against those uh, politics, it, it is it's very didactic, right? And so it could mm-hmm. be he has more aesthetic reasons to uh, call it silly because he finds it obvious or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, it right. could be mm-hmm. along those lines as well. And it, there is mm-hmm. there's very little subtlety to the politics of this movie. Although I think they are yeah. more complicated than that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, the robot, though, Micah, is uh, a pretty big um, uh, invention of this movie, I think, um, the way yeah. that they handle it. What do you think about that? Yeah. It, so there's there's a line that, that stands out to me, um, I think, where the um, uh, so Friedersen has has come to his former rival and I, I their relationship is so confusing to me. But so <laughs> the the master of the city, right, has come to the this mad inventor. Um, and now they're rivals or they're enemies because they've had this falling out over um, over this woman. And but the the mad inventor says, OK, look at what I've created. Right. Um, it's it's just like her. Right. <laughs> and and there's nothing like a, a human woman about this robot, you know, except it's vaguely like, you know, vaguely feminine in shape. Um, but it's metallic and all this. Right. And um, the. He says, all it needs is a soul, mm. right? And um, and so this is like, I'm like, what does he think that he's put into this robot so far? It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't look like the woman he lost. I, I'm confused about how he's thinking about this. But um, so Friedersen responds, um, you're wrong. It's better without one. Mm. And um and there's this uh, it, it's an incredible vision because it it almost goes to the way that maybe um, Friedersen thinks about his workers, you know, like um, it, it's better to dehumanize them. It's better not to think of them as as creatures with a soul. And so the 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 inventor wants to create a being who has a soul who can connect and communicate and be in relationship. And Friedersen wants um, a being that can can be used to control others that doesn't have a soul. And so there are these two different visions of of technology in the robot itself, yeah. right? In what this robot is going to be doing and going to be used for and and going to be understood as. And um, these visions, I mean, they they really play out in in some bizarre and complicated and, and interesting ways. But um, but there is that Frankensteinian kind of like you know creation of life and the the uh, you know that whole um, that whole drive like there's a drive to create life and the question is like what kind of life are we going to create yeah right um, so I don't know yeah that that's like the the big pick there's lots of yeah lots of other aspects of this um, but I don't know do you have any thoughts or, or responses to any of that no I think you're totally right I think that the the robot as a piece of technology is fascinating. And I'm actually curious. I mean, the Christian transhumanist mm. philosophy, uh, um, mm-hmm. is that what you guys, how you guys, is sure, that the term sure. you would put it? Uh, outlook, whatever on life. Um, it, so it seems to me that 
that what um, the inventor has in mind is something along those lines is actually creating a more eternal human with a soul. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and it seems to be that he is trying to do something um, humanistically transhuman uh, with uh, technology yeah. here, if that makes any sense. Um, and what Freighter is more like the utilitarian, excuse me, Freighterson uh, is the, uh, the utilitarian, you know, using, using of life as a resource to create, mm-hmm. you know, money mm-hmm. and, and, and pro- technological process. Um, and so yeah. it seems to me that you do have like a, a transhumanist debate about the future of this AI technology. Yeah, I think that I think that's right, um, and and that is an ongoing debate um, in a lot of different areas. And it's yeah, it's like are, are we um, are we uh, you know using technology to eradicate uh, <laughs> our soul um, you know in our society and eradicate you know it, it, I think Fredrickson wants to eradicate the ultimately like the lower class workers once he doesn't need them anymore right yeah. and so he wants to to destroy the soul of the of the community with with technology right and that's kind of um, the the inventor wants to bring back soul that has been lost yeah um, and um, and yeah, so this that kind of debate plays out, yeah, in all kinds of areas. And um, what I would want to say, which I don't, it, it's hard to think about how this kind of would show up in in this film, but um, I, I would want to have us recognize the relationship we're always in with um, with other beings and other life and our technology. And, um, you know, humans are, are one of the things that makes us kind of unique is that we're one of the few creatures that adopts other species into our family. Mm. Right. Mm. And so it's, we don't even make our dogs or cats become human to become part of our family. We're fine with them being as they are. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're, we're happy to graft them into our family. And so I think this is like, how you know the the humanistic and thus you know my version of the transhumanistic um, approach would be to say you know whether what regardless of what this creature is, if we're going to be in relationship with it, it needs to be a positive relationship where we acknowledge it and affirm it and you know to whatever degree are are expressing empathy and compassion. Um, and so this, this kind of plays out. Um, I, I think you can look at the relationship between the different characters in, um, in this story as different ways of thinking about that relationship, um, with our technology. Yeah, that's Hmm. fascinating. Todd, do you have anything to add to that? Well, so as Mike is talking, I'm, I just, all of the things that are flooding into my head are connected to, a 1920 play by Carl Chopik called Rossum's Universal Robots. Mm. Uh, it goes by R U R. It is it is a it is a fascinating exploration of many of the same issues. I mean, this is exactly the same time period we're talking about. We got the same movements going on throughout Europe. The international workers of the world are uh, you know a big force. Um, Automation is coming into its own to some degree, and RUR explores this territory of what it means for uh, us to create capable machines that are basically almost human. Uh, the robots are not, you know, they're not metal 
cans like we you know see in the 50s you know bad sci-fi uh movies <laughs> but they are biological creatures mm. they're made of biological material um <clears throat> I, you know, if anybody's listening and is teaching a literature-based course where you've got some freedom to bring in fascinating stuff, this is one I would really highly recommend. It's a lot of fun to teach. Um, it explores many of the same issues that we see in this film, um, but very, very directly goes after the hard question of what if you make someone that is just about human? Mm -hmm. What do you owe them? And there's a big robot rebellion in the in in the play. There's a whole discussion about um, a, a new humanity coming, perhaps that is born of these of these robots who are basically the only ones left at the end of the play. Um, one of the reasons why it, it comes up is not just the thematic elements that we see explored, but um, interestingly, the one of the principal characters. Um, is a woman named Helena who has a robot that is made after her. Oh, interesting. Uh, Helena. And um, that is the name, I presume, of of the 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 woman in dispute. Yeah. Uh, there's this giant statue, this bust, yeah. uh, with the name Hell. Yeah. Which I presume is drawn after Helen of Troy. But, yeah. Um, but as is uh, Chopik's uh, Helena. So... I'm not, you know, I, I, again, I didn't get enough chance to look into the background of this film, but I would bet that Fritz Lang knew this play. Oh yeah. It sounds like absolutely. That's a nod at least to, uh, yeah. to an inspiration. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I mean, we're going to talk about um, influence on later sci-fi films as it as we go on towards the end of the show, but mm -hmm. um, clearly I'm hearing echoes of Blade Runner um, uh, already <laughs> with this, uh, uh, with what we're talking about, this sort of new person who may be more human than the humans who created them. Right. And so, right. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's really um, fascinating. And, and in this movie, it's interesting that despite the creator's highest ambition for this, uh, this being, this, uh, this robot, um, she ends up being a monster, right? I mean, she's like this sort of mm -hmm. nightmare <laughs> for, for the city. Um, she imitates the, the religiously. I mean, Maria is basically a prophet, uh, a prophetess, if, if that's the right mm -hmm. word for, um, for the workers. And, um, and so she's leading this kind of religious based, um, rebellion kind of subtle rebellion for workers underneath the city and um when this is discovered by Frederson, he sends the robot in through um the through the inventor um i just what's his name uh rotvog rotvog yeah that's his name um yeah, yeah they, through him they sends him uh sends her to kind of destroy the rebellion um so she sort of imitates this religious leader and ends up being like the seductress kind of just nightmare on wheels right and so uh <laughs> like I, I i don't know what you make of the film's philosophy of technology then Micah, mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. that's where it ends up taking her. Yeah. Well, there's, there's different layers of it. And I, I almost feel like there's a, a real complexity or uh, I don't know if it's ambivalence, but definitely like a multi-layered way of thinking about technology here. So one thing is like the inventor um, so quickly, uh, gives in to the idea that that Freiderson has for this robot, right? So he goes from like I'm creating a being for me to love, to um, to I'm going to allow this being to be used to control the masses. 
Um, and <laughs> I don't understand how he like why he's so quickly you know, sees to this idea, except I guess he's got his own plot, which is that he's using it to, as a, as a weapon against the, uh, you know, the, the leader. So he, either way though, he's, he's transposed this vision of like a, a robot to, um, to have someone to love into a vision of a weapon to use. Yeah. Right. And, um, and it becomes a very, uh, a very effective weapon. And there's a, there's the whole sense of like, of this creature can, um, in some sense uh, that's not really explained, imitate, um, humans, right. Become human in appearance. And, um, you know, so, so there's, there's that, it, it seems a very, um, in, in some sense, a positive look at, at the potential, but then like a very negative kind of view of where it comes from. And then there's a, there's two other images that stand out a lot to me that are not robot related, but the, um, when, with the mistaken identity situation, there's a, this continual struggle, which I don't really understand of the people with the clock. Um, they're like fighting against the clock, yeah, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's it. I think it's a literalization of that metaphor. Yeah, yeah I think that's yeah. actually yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. It, so there's this this whole thing of like humans imprisoned in this kind of um, machine world um, and being consumed by it and, and struggling with it and fighting it. Um, and then I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but um, – Ultimately, the robot leads them in a uh, a destruction of the machines, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And the the head worker says, basically, um, "You fools, don't you know that you're you're basically destroying yourselves, right? The machines are are uh, what's keeping you." Oh, okay. So I had written down the quote. Um, yeah, the foreman says, "Who told you to destroy the machines? Don't you see? It's only yourselves you're destroying." Yeah. And this turns out to be true, right? They they destroy the machines, I guess, as a as a symbol of their rising up against their master, and it ultimately um, capsizes their entire civilization, their their entire lives. Um, and so there's there's a a real like multi-layered feeling about about this right it's certainly that people are struggling with this thing that seems to be consuming them but also if they destroy it they're actually destroying the means of their own existence as well yeah and that that machine is particularly called the heart machine if i remember right right um which is yeah. again that's mm -hmm. a, a driving metaphor of the movie is the heart is the mediator between the head and the hands right mm -hmm. and so um, mm -hmm. um which is again this movie is quite preachy um prepare yourself for that <laughs> it, it's brilliant but it is not subtle it's all yeah it's it's in no way subtle but um yeah but it but that's not to say it's not complex uh and mm -hmm. you, micah you're exactly right there seems to be it's making simultaneously competing claims about technology's role in our lives right it's both mm -hmm. devil and angel and, and and i think that that's fascinating um one thing about the robot before we move on to kind of thematic concerns in the movie is the create it's very frankenstein-esque uh when the robot gets animated by maria's essence or whatever she's like put in this little tube there's tubes going on there's <laughs> yeah. a there's a pentagram prominently featured mm -hmm. on the wall um mm -hmm. there's um all sorts of like um magical kind of scenery it looks like a wizard scene as much as it looks like dr frankenstein science equipment right um and so there's a real interesting 
blend of of between of magic and technology. I don't yeah. know how else to say it. Uh, and, and so I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys, either one of you, Todd, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I mean, I immediately, I thought of Frankenstein, of course. Um, but, uh, I mean, and, and, and the whole dialogue, which you two already discussed, which was the question about the soul of this robot and what is necessary. Um, you know, obviously they're not, they're not going to, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but, but they're not going to do anything with, um, describing how the soul is transcribed or whatever onto this robot. But, but you know, the scene, the scene is there and it is necessary. And it's clearly this woman who, who, although she, you know, I expect (laughs) when I first saw this, I expected, okay, well, she's going to expire, right? Because her soul is going to be transformed. No, no, no. She's, she shows up later in the film. And she's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, but no, there, there definitely is, um, an element of the spiritual that comes in, not only the disembodied spirit of the person, but also the spiritual realities that that underlie uh, a lot of what is being messaged here. I mean, and again, it's heavy. Yeah. I hate to say it's heavy handed because quite frankly, you know, despite the fact that this is a two and a half hour movie, it keeps you interested, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, at least it does me and maybe I, the, I like art film so i i can i can endure such a thing but um but but you know that is definitely a another thread in this whole discussion is the immaterial and the question of the immaterial the question of the um you know that which is the mysterious yeah um it runs right through yeah micah um i know that some visions of the transhuman future has us uploading our consciousness to computers, mm-hmm. right? With a plug in the back mm-hmm. of our head, like the matrix or whatever. And, um, yeah. and so there's a sense in which this kind of looks like that. There's like her consciousness is uploaded, mm-hmm. although it's almost like it's made, it's almost like copied and not transferred. Uh, like it's like a mm-hmm. file that's copied and not transferred. Um, and so like, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it definitely seems to be. Um, so there are, um, there are a lot of transhumanists who um, not just want that for themselves, but also want that for uh, their loved ones, right? And this comes out in the movie Her, um, where uh, there is um, uh, they're they're kind of um, as the the AIs start to develop and do their own things, they resurrect Allen Ginsberg. Mm-hmm. Um, by creating an AI simulation of him. And then they, you know, they converse with him and, and, um, and all this. And so that's, uh, you know, um, Ray Kurzweil has a similar vision of, he wants to bring back his father. And so he's collecting records and all these kinds of things so that one day he'll be able to feed that into a supercomputer, super intelligent AI, and it will be able to reconstruct his, um, his father, so that he can be re- reunited. And so this vision is very, um, very resonant with a lot of things that come out of the, um, you know, transhumanist uh, world. And, and it's, um, yeah, it gets to that idea of like, well, can we do this? Um, if so, um, are we, are we really getting the, the, the real thing? Um, which I actually think the, the, 
this movie doesn't really deal with as much. It, instead, it deals with the question of like, will it be subject to some other being's control? Ah, uh, yes. Right. So the 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 ultimate aim of this robot was originally to be a being to be in, you know in relationship with, and it becomes a being to use as a weapon against other people, um, and and so that whole that whole idea I think you know brings up these questions like can we as we become um, increasingly connected with our technology can we maintain our our soul and our relationship, or are we going to become, you know, weapons essentially? Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the basic premise of the movie is that, uh, they've already become this, like uh, humans, right. Have already done this. And, uh, the, the, it launches when, uh, Frieder, like, um, kind of has this Buddha moment of, <laughs> of seeing that, oh, there's this world outside these beautiful walls of suffering and it's this technological like underbelly, right? Yeah. And there's a sense there, I think that maybe, you know, was already haunting people is that we don't even know the foundations on which our society is built. Mm-hmm. It's totally possible that one day we could walk through a, a door and find an entire underworld we never knew about because we just don't understand the structures on which we're living. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really a feeling about technology that you know gets really into some of the heart of of that that kind of tension and that kind of feeling about things. Yeah. Mm. That is a great transition. Um, I, w- I want to kind of talk about a couple of main big themes uh, in the movie. And one is the this mechanization of man uh, in the industrial age. This is sort of, um, you know, industrial capitalism has been going for a few decades now, right? And so um, uh, so people all the way back to Dickens uh, have been kind of uneasy about this and what it's doing to human beings. Uh, I mean, beyond Dickens, but I mean, he's just an example of, of people from the previous century who had fears about what this life is doing to human beings. People have been mechanized in this world. I mean, the opening scenes mm-hmm. show these lines of people walking in very mechanical ways in straight lines in perfect unison between shifts um, to keep Mm. this machine always perpetually running when they're running the machines they are basically becoming machines to keep up with the moving of the gears (laughs) to uh Mm -hmm. to run the machines and so people have been weaponized uh in in a sense as you say um and so i think that um there's a couple things that uh, occur to me about this and i'll I'll spin it off to, to todd maybe um and then back to you, Micah, after that. But, uh, but the, uh, but the idea that, um, you know, I'm, you know, a big Matthew Arnold fan. Uh, and so he was very kind of, uh, fearful and, and, you know, mournful over the way that uh, human beings are becoming mechanized by the changing times, by the changing epic. And, uh, and I do feel like there's a sense in which at the end of this movie, when you have this kind of religious, movement um that is not really christian when you think about it. i mean it looks very kind of judeo-christian but it isn't and, and it's like something that's taken this traditional religion and retooled it for this you know socialistic um mechanical world that we're living in right that, that they're envisioning and so what i see in the end is this kind of moment in which we've created a new religion to organize us all and to kind of 
redeem the the mechanization the mechanized human um homo mechadimonus or whatever whatever you're going to call it <laughs> uh and so um and, and so i feel like in some ways it's taking up the concerns of matthew arnold but also uh give, bringing it to some sort of positive fruition that i don't know that he could have seen uh and, and so it's a really fascinating moment of people grappling with the outcomes of this mechanization. I mean, it's taking it to this extreme. I don't think anybody actually worked in jobs quite like this, um, um, but it's taking this sort of extreme versions of, of this Victorian fear of what a mechanized human being might, uh, what human society might actually be like. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so um, its conclusion is, is, is very fascinating to me. Um, um, but um Todd, what, do you have any thoughts on the Well, I so I am I am curious to not to throw it back to you so quickly, but I mean I, I'm curious what you think is coming. You know, what is, you know, it, it's it's this very odd yeah. moment, right? You've got uh you've got the uh gro- I all I can think of is I am Groot. Um <laughs> Grot. His name is Grot, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 you have um Freighter who and of course the the heart the heart hand head thing at the end i thought i really did think that um that maria was going to be she was going to take the place as the mediator but no of course you have to make freighter the mediator in the end so she encourages him to stand as the go between the the jimmy carter between you know begging and the sabbat (laughs) right there at the end yeah and um and I, and I don't know what's coming because the city has been destroyed. The whole mechanism, you know, the 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 workers' uh, city beneath the streets has been destroyed. The the heart machine is gone. There are no lights, right? I mean, all they've got is 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 uh, is uh, lamps, lanterns, and what have you to to light things. So I don't know what's coming, but. Um, you know, is it is it a is it a a more positive spin on this uh, that is going to come? Is is uh, Fredersen going to uh, recreate some of the mechanism, but be more of a human, uh, ha- have more of a human face on it? I'm I'm not quite sure, but the 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 positive vibe that I get there between Freighter and Maria, I, I know I must be influenced by RUR because at the end of RUR, a new humanity is coming. And it's this new humanity of these robots who are, you know, human robots who we learn through the 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 play that they actually could reproduce. And they're the new Adam and Eve. Um uh Yet at the same time, in that in that story as well, you've you've got this need for production, yeah. which has got to come from somewhere. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I, I I don't know, but I I, I did find it. I mean, I, I I guess I'm still mulling over. I'm I need to watch it again, you know, <laughs> you know, to try to, mm-hmm. to try to really think where is Lang going with this, you know, um, because I'm not. I don't think it's all that clear. Yeah, what is the utopia after the handshake, right? Um, yeah, because yeah. the, the machines are gone. Ostensibly, they'll have to build the, the the head. Will have to come up with new plans for the hands, right. uh, which are their metaphors they use for the the industrialists and the, the yeah. proletariat, basically. Uh, right. And, and so the they and so will the proletariat in this case have more of a say? Will they have some of the means of? Will they partially own the means of production? I guess we're already right. getting into the the overt well, Marxist <laughs> politics of this you movie, think? right? Yeah. Um, and so yeah. And so I mean, yeah. I guess you can't. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, what Marx was writing about was industrial technology, right? I mean, that's the right. society he was writing about. So these, this right. idea of the mechanization of human beings is inseparable from the politics of the movie. Um, and so, right. yeah, and in the end, it, it isn't the worker seizing the means of production. Frederson mm-hmm. is still there, ostensibly in charge. He's right. just joined in some partnership with, um, uh, with the workers through his son, who is the the heart now now the mechanical right. heart is gone you have this human heart right, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so it, it's a very mm-hmm. um open-ended and weirdly not marxist resolution to a marxist right. critique mm-hmm. of capitalism <laughs> so um, and you've got all yeah. the kids the kids are all there too remember? yeah they the, were saved the so. kids are all right yeah um and uh yeah Okay. I think, like, yeah, the person who gets off of, off the best from this is Frederson. Like, everybody else, you know, like, has come near to death, has done, you know, like, all these despicable things, has destroyed their own livelihood. And, um, and he was, you know, like, the inventor of the robot has been killed. The robot itself has been destroyed. And it's all more or less because Frederson decided to use the robot to control everybody. And he's the only one who, like... Nothing happens to him. Yeah. It, like, yeah, he, he gets, still comes out on top. Yeah. He's made friends with his son and no one hates right. him anymore. And it cost him nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he can just burn down his society. Oops. You know, and just yeah, kind of move right. on. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a fascinating, like, um, political um, scenario that is being developed. And, um, this is, let's just transition to another major theme then, because this one thing that's weird to me about this movie, and I started to write an essay when I taught this, I taught this movie last semester in my sci-fi film class, mm-hmm. and I started to sort of write down an essay about this. Um, this kind of, socialistic utopian narrative is fueled by a religious cult, right? I mean, and so it's a really interesting, um, the use of religious imagery in this movie is just endlessly fascinating. Um, and it begins, um, I think Todd, you wanted to talk about, um, uh, uh, Moloch, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so there, this, this machine where we, I, I think it's where we first see the humans, they're they're sort of acting as in conjunction with these pistons, this you know big crankshaft with pistons running, and the human you know, the human workers are in these windows doing God knows whatever they're doing, um, but they're moving in sync with the with with the machinery, so they are part of the machine as you say. Um, and when Frader goes down, he, he's had his moment where he's decided, I need to go figure out what's going on here. He goes down to see this machine and, uh, there's an explosion. There's a, there's a, um, you know, some, one of the human parts of the machine fails and it causes the machine to explode and many people are injured and, 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 um, I think I'm getting this right, the timing. He looks up at this machine and it transforms into this temple of Moloch. Yeah. um, Where there are um, people being brought up. So this is, you know, explicitly biblical imagery. They're being brought up and fed to the machine as sacrifices, as human sacrifices. Yeah. And so he has this revelation about the machinery of the city being some god to whom these people are being sacrificed um and i did you know i did find that again that's very you know very blatant and in your face um 
but I think a very effective, you know, a, a very effective moment in the film. Yeah. And it's like a religious vision he has at that moment. And that inspires him to give up his life. I mean, it's very um, Paul on the road to Damascus. He has this mm-hmm. religious vision um, that inspires him to give up his life of privilege and, and go down and literally trade places with one of the workers on one of the machines um, in mm-hmm. support of this rebellion. Right. Um, there's not, it's not even a rebellion. It's this. It's a religious awakening. It's not a. Right. It's not a political movement, really. It's a religious awakening that's that mm-hmm. Maria is leading, uh, and and it's and it's one that looks very Christian, um, and he in fact looks messianic. At one point, mm-hmm. you know, when Maria is giving a sermon, um, she says, "Someday the heart will arrive," and then you see him cast in this light. He has the, the right. back of his head is lit and it's very like the dove ascending or descending right. upon him, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's got all of this uh, messianic imagery that are, is cast upon him and uh, in support of this like explicitly religious movement that acts as a political movement and mm-hmm. uh, and it's inspired by a religious vision. Um, uh, and incidentally, it's weird because the false Maria, uh, the, the robot who's when she, uh, she gets burned at the stake, kind of like Joan of Arc, which is, I don't know what <laughs> right. to do with that, right? And so, um, uh, yeah, and so the 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 way that the 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 bad robot the robot dies, um, who's sort of this kind of false prophet seducing the rich in this really weird hoochie coochie mm. dance, and, uh, <laughs> and and so yeah, it's a a lot of strange Jezebel imagery I think going on with her. Oh, the whore um, of Babylon is what. It oh, is, oh right? that's I exactly mean, right. Yeah, that's you know exactly because right. the page that they show from the Bible is a woman dressed exactly like mm-hmm. the the robot woman is in this uh what otherwise looks like some 1920s nightclub scene you yeah. know yeah and one thing we're not getting into um is the you know a feminist perspective on this movie um this movie i mean the men are like i mean the male gaze is really played up there's montage shots of just eyeballs i mean yeah. and so i'm not saying i mean i think this movie is aware of sexism um in, in a way that it's very interesting at the time even that though it may perpetuate it um it's mm-hmm. aware of the male gaze uh in, in a very early case i think it's fascinating um but yeah um and going uh, so there's there's more religious stuff to be said micah did anything stand out to you well there's the um uh the tower of babel Thank story you. and if i'm remembering it correct um maria narrates it right yes so yeah those so this is part of her religious proclamation to her followers is basically sit down and let me tell you the story of our her version of this is you know cast to give a very specific um, understanding of like where they are right that they have these these kind of glorious uh, elite people who want to build this tower to the stars but they don't share their dream with the um, the workers they they hire she says they hire all these workers but I'm like they look like slaves yeah, and this yeah. you know like, yeah, right <laughs> they um. And so they they conscript all these people and um, and they don't share their vision with them. And so then this leads to, you know, this uh, this problem, right? This this um, breakdown of their of their uh, social order, because the uh, the people who had this grand vision didn't share it with the people who were actually building it. Um, And it's interesting because, I mean, to me, you know, I hear the Tower of Babel story all the time because that's what people want to talk about as the primary (laughs) metaphor for technology. And, um, you know, I have to confess when you were on my show the first time I asked you the Tower of Babel question myself. (laughs) Well, and it, and it's, um, and it's perfectly legitimate, but it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, 
you know, so it, it is something I've, I've thought about a lot. Um, and what that story, you know, what that story means in its context and so forth. And what doesn't get um, evoked in this movie or or most discussions about this is the story of, of Noah's Ark, which comes right before it, mm-hmm. right? Which has this entirely different connotation to the nature of technology, where technology is used to save human and animal life and to repopulate the world. And, you know, so there's this whole thing. Um, but... So I was I, I found it interesting that there was such a, uh, you know, I, I would argue that most retellings of the ba- Babel story are doing something like um, Icarus. Right. And um, this exactly. does a more nuanced version of it where it's it's actually this kind of breakdown between of, of communication. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, the part of it I de- definitely resonate with is the idea that the Babel story is pointing to the failure of tyranny um, mm. to to create a, a sustainable uh, sense of progress. And um, and so anyway, that that just stood out to me. It's very interesting. I, I, there's a lot of different dimensions to it. But. Yeah. Yeah. The, they changed the I mean, so the pursuit of the of glory in the uh, building of the tower isn't the problem it's the problem mm-hmm. was that they were being unfair bosses to their laborers mm-hmm. right and they were exploiting mm-hmm. the workers um, and so it the tower of babel in this world becomes sort of a socialist organizing tool right and and it's yeah. it's a very interesting mm. way in which this film really weird it's i would say it seamlessly melds religion and socialism except it's so obvious that it's not seamless right and so it's like both mm-hmm. obvious and seamless i can't um i can't decide on how it does but it's a very strange um political vision well there's also uh, i was reading um that one of the earlier versions of of uh, the script involved uh Frieder at the end flying to the stars oh, and it's almost like so then then this is like an ascension of Christ like there's a, <laughs> but but it's but it's fulfilling that um vision of what Babel was supposed to be right but now by connecting the the workers and the visionaries they can actually achieve the stars right yeah. in a way that that they couldn't before yeah um, utterly fascinating. Um, Todd, do you have any thoughts on religion before we move on to sort of uh, how this film speaks to later sci-fi films? Uh, well, no, I've already offered my piece, so I think we should just move it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. let me just begin. I hope I don't steal anybody's thunder here. Um, the, <laughs> the film Ex Machina, um, I want to kind of um, mm. recommend. It's a really great Utterly fascinating film. Um, Oscar Isaac plays this inventor um, who creates um, a, a female a gendered robot who uh, is this sort of super AI, and um, and it's sort of about the the way in which she discovers her humanness and kind of plots for freedom it's it's a very um interesting it's clearly drawing on the imagery of this movie for her design um the the Mm -hmm. the robot design in that movie um she has a human face um but for most of the movie she has a mechanical body um that isn't Mm -hmm. unlike the one that we see in metropolis so there's something about Mm -hmm. um the kind of the first great AI being this beautiful female who has the power of seduction uh, at her, at her, you know, 
whatever uh, whim, uh, it, it, the, it's an influence on that movie. Um, and it's definitely one I think everyone should watch if you haven't yet. It's uh, it's mm-hmm. really, really fascinating. Um, and also starring the guy who plays the bad guy, the red-haired guy from the new Star Wars movies. So it's interesting that these two Star Wars actors um, are in this other sci-fi movie with the kind of roles reversed. One is the good guy and one is mm-hmm. the bad guy. It, it's, uh, it's a fascinating movie. But I think clearly mm-hmm. you can see some uh, roots in Metropolis uh, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Todd? Well, so, I mean, I guess the one that, that comes to mind, we've already said it, is, is Blade Runner, of course. Um, and not just, uh, you know, there, there are, I was, I was going to, had I, had, had I thought ahead enough, uh, actually pick off all of the things that I thought of when I thought of, uh, you know, the Blade Runner connections here. I mean, the, 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 there's the obvious set pieces, right? The, 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 the flying vehicles between buildings and what have you. You see that in Star Wars too, right? Sure. The prequels of Star Wars that that the whole design of the city is directly taken from from Metropolis. Yeah. Um but uh you know you I I I don't know. I mean I don't I I, I think one of the things that that impresses me about this is the way in which this one, I mean, as a silent film, this is a grand visual epic. Yeah, I mean, it really, it really. So I, you can say, you can name any one of the big sci-fi films that really is sort of meant to be visually impressive, and you can see seeds of them. And you, I, I would go to Peter Jackson too, um, because much of the grand scenes in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think owe something to at, at least at least in terms of set design and sort of feel of this big um yeah any of the any any I I, I don't know what I'm thinking of now is the army clashes where he, of yeah. course it's all CGI but but I but I but I I feel like he's doing something visually there that started here yeah you know yeah, there's a grandiosity of, of I mean, it's use, making use of the visual nature of this medium, right? Uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a very early way that really people don't do to that scale again for some time. They, <laughs> I mean, they, they, yeah, they yeah. really, really don't. Yeah, they really don't. Mm-hmm. I also see resonances with the uh, the horror films that we talked about last Halloween. Yeah. You know, um, that whole 1930s uh, um, and 40s uh, set a well, set of films. Well, and those guys, those Universal guys, they were all German um, expats. That I mean, yeah. they yeah. they fled Nazi Germany, and the American studio system inherited this, this great um, tradition of German filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the guy who wrote the wolfman um kurt siedmack uh he was a, a jewish refugee um from mm-hmm. uh, from germany so yeah yeah there, there's definitely some connection there as well um yeah micah yeah so the thing that um that resonates the most to me is actually the matrix um and yeah, this storyline is so so similar to the matrix from like there's there's basically human batteries underneath the city, you know, like um, there is a there's the underworld, which is in some way the real world. And there's this kind of illusory, um, nice world that um, that our character lives in. And um, and, you know, that's punctured. Right. He, he realizes mm-hmm. that he lives in a false reality. He descends from this paradise like existence into this underworld of the real which is the real world right and um 
he encounters a um you know, a, a group of humans who's leading a rebellion against the machines. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, even just the imagery of it is so much similar to mm-hmm. the way that they depict Zion in the Matrix films, the way that, you know, mm-hmm. Maria is kind of like a Trinity character. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. And uh, Frieder is is the Neo, and there's um, his father is the one who is the architect of the of this system in some yeah. sense. It's kind of like the um, oh, what do they call it in the um, maybe it's actually the architect. I can't I can't remember in the the mm-hmm. Matrix films there is the the kind of male uh, AI who r- rules everything, yeah. and then there's the female AI who um, the Oracle who is, you know, in some sense, the mother figure um, and that kind of fulfill, you know, it's like there's a role for all these different characters. And um, and there is the the sense that, yeah, it, you know, it, it takes someone leaving the upper world, going into the underworld of reality um, into the caverns to kind of have this reawakening that's going to allow them to overthrow and then create a better existence. And it even resolves in the same way because the matrix Mm -hmm. films don't resolve with the destruction of the matrix. They resolve with a Mm -hmm. new piece between these different characters, like a Mm -hmm. new kind of standoff Mm -hmm. between them. That's negotiated by Neo by Crater. Uh, in this yeah. scenario, so oh, there's, there's just so many different like elements wow. of this that <laughs> seem like just just copied right into the the storyline, um, and so that's that that's just really striking to me. Yeah, yeah that's a great reading, and uh, and as you were talking about the descent into the underworld, I think it might make the Freudian sense you had um, make more sense. I mean, is it is the underworld as a stand-in for the subconscious uh, going into the subconscious mm-hmm. to uh, to resolve uh, social pro- or you know personal problems that become social problems? Um, I think there is a, a that's a, an essentially mm-hmm. Freudian act right there, and so mm-hmm. um, that, that's fascinating. Um, Guys, this was even more fun than I expected it would be. This was um, absolutely amazing. Um, I can't thank you enough for uh, for coming and uh, and chatting with this with me about this movie. I remember sure. really being blown away with it when I watched it last semester when I taught it, and uh, I feel like I understand it so much better now. Um, those of you who are listening, um, please uh, shoot back at us. Go on the Facebook page. There will be a link to this show. Feel free to comment uh, with your thoughts, things that we've left out, other uh, movies that you think we should check out, um, and uh, let Micah and Todd and I know what you thought. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Micah, if you want to check more about Micah, go to the Christian Transhumanist, uh, uh, ChristianTranshumanist.org. ChristianTranshumanism.org. Yeah. yeah. And we've got Facebook page and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. There, yeah. So. Yeah. And Todd Pedler, you can find uh, ChristianHumanist.org uh, with the, for the book of nature and find out what they're doing there. Um, guys, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I much, much appreciate it. So yeah. yeah thanks Love a lot. It. It's been fun. Yeah. It's been great. Thanks. Yeah.